but you're also feeding two birds with one seed because you're seeding the idea of accountability. Because when you get someone thinking about how they contribute and how they add value, their intrinsic motivation goes up. Their investment in the work goes up. They participate more because their autonomy, level of autonomy goes up. They, they start to actually lean in and develop more competence and confidence. And then the conversations around accountability become easier as well. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by Teresa Mitrovic, who is the managing partner at Oral Collective. Teresa, how are you this morning? I'm really good. Thanks, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I suppose it's your morning, my afternoon, because you're joining us from Melbourne. I'm excited to chat. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what Oral Collective is, and we'll get into some conversation. Sure. Okay. So... I'm going to talk about Oro Collective first. It's essentially a consultancy. It's, it's an independent consultancy that I founded after a decade of being in this business, running my own consultancy. And the purpose for, for creating Oro Collective was really to make sure that leaders had the tools in their hands to create exceptional performance outcomes, but in a way that allowed them to build a team culture that they could be really proud of leading as well. Because one thing I know from my personal experience and one thing I know from having worked on the consulting side for over a decade now is you know, we get promoted based on our technical expertise and our technical success levels, right? And then we get into being a leader and my goodness, the people side is actually really hairy and really difficult. And although we often know what it takes to make, you know, what great leadership looks like, making that a reality for us and finding our own unique way of being able to be 100% sincere and authentic, but still get those results and still create a you know great team morale and harmony can be a real mind meld. So um, the reason I created this, this company is to really democratize uh, learning and development for leaders and be able to get tools into the hands of people who really need it, irrespective of what their training budgets look like. And I do that because I spent the first 10 years in this business in London and in Auckland working directly with organizations, right? And so all the learning budgets tend to go to the big, long programs. They're all in, you know, in person, blended, take lots of time out of your diary. And I know from experience that when I was a leader. So I, I, I worked as um, head of marketing at Hasbro Toys and Games in NZ and country manager for Disney in NZ and then moved up to London and joined Universal Pictures. But I know that you just never have enough time to invest hours, let alone days doing training that you've then got to come back and figure out how to integrate into the regular cadence of your work. So I, I wanted to be able to give something back to the market, something that I would have loved to have had when I was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when I was starting out, I would have loved to have had the tools for someone to say to me, okay, you're great at what you do on the marketing side and you know what performance looks like and what the levers are for performance. Here is how to navigate the people side and connect people, your people uh, interactions and experiences to performance. Here is, you know, here is the reasons why and all the context behind it, but also the practical tools for actually how you make it happen. Because if you can't make it happen on the ground, then nothing ever changes. And that's what we see a lot. Like I talk a lot about the role of trust and performance 
And my experience is most leaders want it. All the people I work with want it, but they don't know how to create trust while also pursuing, pursuing performance. And so getting that piece right and doing that consistently, that's the secret sauce. Well, one of the things that I heard while you were sharing, uh, especially about the technical, technically skilled people, is there's performance at the individual level, like one person performing, and then there's performance at the team level. In your experience in all of these organizations, how do you balance that individual performance, like working on one person to make them better? And then how do you balance that with a team or a leader whose job is to make everybody's performance improve? Yeah, right. So there's kind of, there's a dual answer to that. The first is helping individuals or team members to understand what their responsibility is in in the performance equation. And the other side is helping leaders to understand how to take their technical prowess into the leadership role, but scale that knowledge and scale what they've learned across the entire team so that they're raising the performance of everyone. And that gets tricky when you have a range of different personalities on your team, right? Because um, most of the people that I've worked with, most leaders, like it's, it's easy to lead the people that are like you. <laughs> it's not easy to lead the people who are quite distinct from you. And you know, and a lot of leaders focus on um, trying to create morale through being liked, which can be incredibly hard work, right? Because if you're trying to find connection with someone who is extremely different to you, uh, and you're seeking you're seeking someone's support, and you want them to like you, as opposed to being respecting you and focusing on performance and knowing how to do that, then you essentially make your leadership role significantly harder. Mm. And so. What One of the things that I do with leaders is we talk about what's made them successful in the role, but also what success looks like from a, for a team going forward. And that's one of the things that leaders can do right now is think, what does success look like for us in the next six to 12 months? Because we can't rely on what's worked in the past, right? So in the next six to 12 months, what does great performance look like? And how do we, how do we get there collectively as a team? But also what is our individual responsibility in, in that? And so... And there's two reasons why we do that. The first is to begin having team conversations around what does performance look like so that a leader can then step into the role of both coaching and facilitating. So my view is that coaching as a manager, as part of a leadership strategy, is not enough. We need to learn how to facilitate. And I know you'll understand this because when you facilitate with clients, essentially all you and I are doing is we're setting up, we've got a framework and a scaffolding for great conversations that allow everybody to participate and to add their unique value in a way that then creates a clear outcome and a roadmap for what we're going to be doing going forward, right? Mm. That's what you and I do when we're facilitating with clients. And what I'm part of what I'm teaching leaders how to do is how to take that thinking, how to create that thinking and wrap it around the work that they do with their team so that they can understand what performance looks like collectively as a team. So how do we become a really great team that's going to be able to deliver what it is that we're charged with doing? But then let's take it down a level and look at what that means for each of us, particularly in a hybrid or remote working world. What's your role in this with regards to adding value? So what are you what are you contributing to the team overall? What is it that you're doing uniquely that no one else can do? And how do I, as a leader, create the space for you to be able to, to do that work with the greatest ease and, and effectiveness that you possibly can? So that's really how you then get to a point where not only you're talking about performance and everyone's thinking about their role in performance, but you're also feeding two birds with one seed because you're seeding the idea of accountability. Because when you get someone thinking about how they contribute and how they add value, their intrinsic motivation goes up. Their investment in the work goes up. They participate more because their autonomy, level of autonomy goes up. They, they start to actually lean in and develop more competence and confidence. 
And then the conversations around accountability become easier as well. And the interesting thing is that all of these little practices, when you do them consistently, create, they build trust and they enable psychological safety. I, first of all, really like the feed two birds with one seed because it's much better than the alternative. The other day I was trying to share a presentation and I was like, I don't really want a picture of eating an elephant. So there has to be a better metaphor than that. But what I took away, what I like, because I, I I like to visualize stuff. So I got my notes here, but people don't need to read it. But you, you walk into a manager or a leader saying, okay, I want to lead somebody. I want to improve the team performance. And Walking in and kind of the the basis is, hey, I want them to like me. I have to lead somebody, but I want them to like me. And it's kind of arguably easier to lead somebody that's psychological, psychologically similar. And so the idea of if they're psychologically different or if you're diverse, then it might be harder. And so what I really liked was it's not about making them like you in that case. It's about getting them to participate into team performance. So pulling them into that team performance. And then once you have that team performance, you bring it down to the individual performance. And I really like that as a, I don't know if it was an intentional framework, but I like thinking about that of saying like, Hey, like get everybody participating in that through those conversations. Yeah. Anything. Did I understand that from your perspective? Is that how you think about it? It was beautifully done. And yeah, it does. And it's, you know, Stephen Covey, the brilliant man who, who said, you know, start with the end in mind. It's really just that. You know, you start with the end in mind. And, and as a leader, because some leaders have said to me, oh, does that mean I like basically throw everything to the floor and get the team to do it? And it's, the answer is no, is a short answer. You as a leader are always charged with that strategic oversight and knowing kind of what the organization needs. You've always got an eye to the future. So you can have hypotheses and what you want to do is test them out, hear what the, what the team are saying first. Because if you don't allow your team the space to speak up, then you're robbing them of an opportunity to learn, to contribute, to develop competence and confidence and to really start developing the, the bench strength in them and also the da- the team beneath them as well. So you've got to keep kind of continually developing your team. And so you do need to be having conversations around, um, as a leader, what does success look like at a team level, but then what is our individual role within that and how do we make that happen? And one thing I want to circle back to, because you said it's not about liking, it's not about getting people to like you as a leader. You're so right. It's, it's, it's about getting people to trust you and you earn that trust consistently day to day with the things that you do, the way that you act as a leader. You don't earn it by doing offsites where everyone has an incredible time and then you come back and nothing ever changes or lunches where everyone has fun or team building events where people have a great experience together and then come back to realise that the day to day is still the day to day. You know, people need to see movement. They need to see that when you're saying that things are going to happen or things are going to change or you're listening that there's evidence of that actually happening. So leaders, uh, although I talk to people, although I talk to leaders about psychological safety, trust, and performance, and how they link together, leaders actually it's, it, we don't need. It's like we can take the responsibility off of ourselves of having to get people to like us. We need to just focus on the trust aspect and getting people to trust us that we know what we're doing and that we need and that they um, we need to build the trustworthiness so that they will speak up and participate in this journey with us. Yeah. Um, uh, and that alone is a big, that moves the needle tremendously. Absolutely. So I do want to talk about the psychological safety. But before I do, I, I, I'd love to hear in your past experience, because obviously you've seen this a lot and it, 
What was an example, and you don't have to give away the company's name, what was an example of this done poorly? Like, a, hey, don't do this, don't model this exercise in one of the organizations that you've worked with so that our listeners can kind of reflect back and be like, ooh, am I doing that? Like, because I find a lot of times it's not intentional, it's unknowing, but that doesn't make it any better. So any uh, experiences where you're like, oh, I saw this or somebody did this poorly and here's what I would have done instead that you can think of? So many, <laughs> so many. And I'm thinking, do I give you a client experience? Do I give you mine? Yeah, one of the things that I see is I've, I've had leaders say, and I've watched leaders say, you know, your opinions really matter and we're all in, yeah, we're all in this together. And people start going, oh, are we though? But leaders trying to invite people to actually speak up and say things. And, and in this one particular instance, people started putting their hands up and saying things. And it was, I'll be honest, they were, the, the responses that were coming out, the first responses were agitated because this was, you, normally I get called in when things aren't working right. So I don't, you know, eight times out of 10, I'm getting called in to help fix problems as opposed to help a great team get even better. And so this, this, this really highly experienced team who were very, very technically astute were having serious issues that were costing, was costing, it was a major infrastructure program in London. They were having serious issues uh, trying to resolve two, issue, two problems that they couldn't quite, they, they were at an impasse. And these issues were causing significant cost and time delays, and it was visible. So these guys were high profile in London. And one of the things the leader was trying to do was trying to get them in rooms and speaking up and, and figuring it out together didn't work. What I, what I encouraged them to do instead was to step back, look at actually just how bad their relationships between them all were. So we kind of, we use that to level set the room so that we've got some, a really big wake up call moment for the team. I use that to level set the room. I said to them, this is, this is how broken your current relationships are. And the impact that it's here is the impact that it's having on not just you guys as a team and, and your ability to drive the business forward, but this is this is the downward impact that it's having on the teams that you lead and everybody else who is in that value chain. And when they saw that, they had a moment of realizing it wasn't just them, but they were suddenly becoming the bottleneck in this huge project. And so Rather than, and, and then it became a question of, okay, so how do we speak up and be heard and and make sense and, and create a new uh, a new plan moving forward? And the first thing a leader will do is go, okay, so how are we going to fix this and make it everyone together trying to, to sort it out? And this was a group of sixteen people. It was too many voices in a room. So one of the mistakes leaders make is if we're going to get everyone to speak up, let's get everyone to speak up. My advice, and this what I did with this group, was we split them into two groups and we gave them the framework to say, you guys tackle this problem, you guys tackle that problem, but your framework to try and resolve this problem is to understand what your solutions are, choose the solution that you think is going to be the most viable and think through the context, the implications, the people that need to be involved. Think about the concerns and the questions that your teammates are going to ask you when you come back out to present your solution and try to offset those or uh, come up with rationale that's going to that's going to help them to understand why this is the best case you know, the best option for moving forward. So we got the team to figure out the solutions on their own. So the director stood aside with me. The teams went to their own thing, um, but they were able to have discrete conversations. And I gave them the time limit as well because the other thing that leaders do is they'll often let conversations run too deep into the weeds, or they'll start having conversation about one topic, and suddenly a whole lot of other issues will arise. What you need to do is create really clipped 
windows of time for people to be able to respond in. So I gave them 45 minutes. I gave them 45 minutes to go through the thinking together and to come up with a plan that, and I said to them, it doesn't need to be perfect, but it needs to be the best plan in this particular context, given the constraints that you're working to and the objectives you need to hit. Come back with that, be prepared to present it back to the other team and be ready to answer their questions. And here's the thing, I want you to be watching the team that you're presenting to and keeping an eye out for who is saying nothing. And what they've, so keep an eye out for what people are saying, what they're not saying, what their body language is telling you. And if you feel like people are holding back, I want you to ask them what their view is or you know, what, uh, if they see anything that you can't or if they've got any concerns about what you're saying or if there's anything that they'd like to add. But invite, invite when people are quiet, invite them to speak up. And if someone says to you, if someone comes at you with a comment that you're not prepared for, like, oh, that's just ridiculous, we've done that before, don't dismiss it, use it. So say them, hey, tell me more about tell me more about the scenario you're talking about so we can understand it and see, you know, because there's a lot of information in there. So that's the other thing that leaders do is when people speak up, and I see this a lot with, with leaders where I'm working with them and their teams, is people will speak up and a leader will revert to habit and say, oh, that's not helpful. Or you're always negative. Don't bring up negative. Yeah, bring me solutions, not problems. But actually when someone's speaking up, what you want to do is validate and appreciate the fact they've spoken up. You don't want to shut them down. So when they speak up, if you disagree or you you fight, and as leaders we know, the first thing that happens when someone speaks up and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, there you go again. We feel the tension inside of us, right? So the response to that tension isn't to meet tension with tension. It's to meet tension with curiosity. So if someone is being negative, we can say to them, hey, I'm really glad that you went first and spoke up. Tell me more about the situation you're thinking of. Tell me more about, in your view, what you know, how that could have been done better that time around. Because let's let's see if there are insights here that we can apply to this idea going forward. And my point here is that as leaders, we can say we really want you guys to speak up. You know, we we want you guys to have a voice in this. We want you to be able to participate. But then we don't actually allow them to. And we don't. And that's not intentional, right? It's just habit. We find ourselves just having this knee-jerk reaction of going. Oh, that's not what I meant, or you've misunderstood me. We make it about us and our discomfort rather than the greater good. And one of the easiest things to do is just to say, okay, so that's, it's interesting, you, you, I use this as well, it's interesting that you said that. Help me understand more about, um, about what it is that you see that you want us to be aware of. Because wherever there is energy, wherever there is feedback, there's insights. We just need to be able to harness it as leaders. So uh, to try to synthesize that was, that this organization, the leadership team and the leader were kind of saying, hey, they wanted communication for themselves, but then they weren't communicating. And then there was, you know, tension, misunderstanding, resistance to that. And what I took away from the first part was that it sounded like it was the leadership team with the leader that they were frustrating, frustrated, but then it wasn't until you kind of probed them to reflect on their own that they realized that they had then become the problem because instead of solving the problem and working through that as a team, they basically realized, oh my gosh, like we're doing the exact same thing to other people and then created the bottleneck in the organization. So it wasn't limited to the leader in this team, but it was in fact the team to the rest of the organization. And that was the real problem from the yeah. gap of communication. Did I get that? 
You did. And, and you know what I was just thinking as you spoke is that gives you another example of what does team performance look like? What does individual performance look like? Mm. These guys, that was an example of these guys focusing on individual performance and holding their own agenda really close. So they had no space to talk about how to create performance at a team level. And the leader wasn't sure how to actually navigate that gap. So really we helped them to do that. But it's it sounds small, but it's super common right? Because a lot of people are focusing on their own KPIs. They're not thinking about the team that they're working with and what and how they're actually working together to add value to the company. And so sometimes what they're doing by not adding value is they're actually uh, creating cost and lagging yep. the business. So. Absolutely. So uh, I think it's a great, just as we finish up here, we talked about communication. We talked about the kind of maybe not misunderstanding, but unwillingness. So underneath that we mentioned, or you brought up psychological safety. So in a minute or less, what is psychological safety? Why is it important for team performance? And then you can tell folks how to get in touch and learn more about that minute. Brilliant. Okay. So psychological safety, the way that I look at it is I take it right down to brass tacks, which is psychological is about the experience that you're having in your head and in your heart is how you're making sense of the world and responding to it. And safety is, you know, we all know what safety is, right? So it's the absence of fear and, and insecurity. So when I think about psychological safety, I think of it in terms of our ability and internal uh, assessment we're making about the environment or the people that we're surrounded by. So are we safe to engage or do we need to protect ourselves? So from that perspective, I say to leaders, be aware that humans have two operating modes, connect and protect. And you can see them. If you start looking around at how people are reacting to you, you'll see them either connecting and leaning in or protecting and moving moving back, retreating. That's important to understand. Just at that simple concept is important to understand because if you don't feel safe, you don't lean in, Right. And if you don't lean in, then you can't, you're not trusting. So this is where trust comes in. So if you feel psychologically safe, then you're more likely to trust, right? Which means that you're more likely to share information, you communicate better, you give more time and effort. The energy that you would usually spend on self-preservation and self-protection, if you're in protect mode, is released into all this incredible output instead. So creativity, innovation, problem solving, connection, collaboration, all that great stuff can only happen when you're in connect mode. So trust is, is, is our visible evidence of psychological safety. And the more you trust, and we all know this, right, if we think about the people with whom we do incredible work, it's usually because we've got high trust relationships with them. So the incredible work then results in incredible performance outcomes. Where leaders can focus in that space is on trust. And because if they focus on trust, if they're looking at, wow, do I feel, do I feel as though the team are demonstrating trust or are they not? Then if you feel as though the team aren't demonstrating trust, the very first thing you can do is increase your trustworthiness as a leader because it's the one thing you can control, right? And I've actually written a whole book about trust. <laughs> so, But in there I have a model that says, look, there are basically four Cs to building trust, right? You've got to be, you've got to be sincere in your connection. You've got to be credible. You've got to, if you say something, you've got to do it. You've got to be competent. You've got to, so you've got to be a good leader. You've got to, you know, you've got to know know what you're doing at all times. And you also have to be consistent. You can't be Jekyll and hiding all over the place, you know, and that's harder right now. But as a leader, if you can just focus on, on, on your role in building trust by focusing every day on how you are demonstrating connection, competence, credibility, and consistency, that alone moves the dial. If you're listening to this and you love 
you, you're similar to me in that, you, you know, you're um, a recovering A-type leader and you love performance and feel like performance is a way for everyone to kind of fully express themselves. But you also want your team to have a great time. Then connect with me on LinkedIn is the very first thing I'd love them to do. But I also want to make it easier for people to pick up these people skills as well that are a little bit harder. So what I want to do is make everyone who's listening uh, a special offer and say, hey, if you want to actually take some action around this, I want to make that easy. So I'm putting, I'm making two things available on a web page specifically for you guys, which you can find at orocollective.space forward slash strategy and leadership. One of those products is called Performance Partnership Playbook. And that is going to tell you everything that you need to know to start adapting your leadership style so that you can really bone up on these great people skills, but create incredible performance at the same time as really making sure that your people are leaning in and doing great work and building trust in you. But if you are someone who actually needs to see it to believe it, which is where, I'll be honest, that's where I was, you know, 20 years ago, I definitely needed to see the results before I was prepared to trust that something like this was actually, you know, worthwhile. So if that is you, then the 30-Day Team Reset is a 30-day course that comes with all the tools that you need to nail performance targets at a team and also an individual perspective. And it gives you all the tools for both creating incredible precision, making sure that the team are on, you know, really well paced, but making sure that you've got great accountability built in throughout. And it comes with um, online coaching from me as well. So there are going to be some hefty discounts in there for anyone who wants to get in and, and see what this looks like in action. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. One of the things that I took away from what you shared was, you know, you're either, if you're in the connect or protect, connect, you're adding to the organization, protect, you're taking away. So for our listeners, I encourage you to reflect on your own self and your teams, you know, are they really in connect mode or are they in protect mode? And if they're in protect mode, they're not bringing the most to the organization. So uh, Teresa, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on and sharing with us today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Folks, thank my guest, Teresa Mitrovic, who is the managing partner at Oro Collective. If you're interested in learning more about her programs, be sure to visit her website and then slash strategy and leadership. And again, as you move forward with your day and your commute home or commute to work, be sure to reflect saying, hey, what are you doing? Are you creating? Are you destroying with your team and their environment and their trust and safety um, is a pretty good indicator of what you're going to be able to do at the rest of your workday. So I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you being here. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.